I'm looking forward to introducing you to my next guest, Mr. John Scotcher from Pearson Treehouse on the Christina Talks podcast. John is a friend of mine. He's a web developer running his own business, um, which is Pearson Treehouse, if you would like to catch up with him. We are kind of competitors on one level, but John's a really interesting character and someone I have a lot of fun with when we're hanging out. That almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? But you'll you'll get to hear the dynamic in a minute. He's just a really good guy to be around and he's quite interesting because as well as owning his own business, there is another side to John's creativity that we'll dig into a little bit as well. If you want to be creative, you've got to hang out with creative people. And John is certainly one of those creative people I get to spend time with. Um, So, yeah, here he is. Hello, Mr. Scotcher. All right. How are you doing? Yes, good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So, yeah, we, we need to introduce you. We need to find the best okay. way of explaining to people what you do. Um, okay, yes, that sounds good. I, I need to find the best way of explaining to myself what I do in order to be able to successfully answer that question. Um, but uh, but let's give it a go. What can possibly go wrong? Um, so uh, I am at my... Uh, I'm a web developer, basically. That's what I've been doing um, for... 21 years i started the company in 1999 so uh and it's the same company now the only difference being that at some point in the far-flung past i went from being a sole trader to limited but other than that um i've been building websites man and boy um since 1999 um and uh that's really it i've I've got uh, i've built over a thousand websites myself not all of them are online anymore, thankfully, because some of the early ones were pretty crap. Um, but the ones that come out these days are a lot better, thankfully. So I've obviously learned something in the last 21 years. Um, so that's uh, that's what I do to uh, feed the animals and get the wife out of the house so she can go and buy wine. Um, and uh, in addition to that, I am a, uh, a member of the CMS Made Simple development team which uh, sounds very exciting, but isn't. So CMS Made Simple is uh, another content management system. Everybody in the world has probably heard of WordPress. Um, CMS Made Simple is much like WordPress. It is a content management system that is developed by a group of um, international volunteers that write the software as open source and then put it out there for the world to use. I've been doing that for about 12 years, I guess, something like that. About 2008, I think, I started doing that. Um, And we're not as big as WordPress, but we have got about a million sites worldwide that use the software. And, uh, and yeah, and I I use it myself because it'd be weird to develop it and then not use it. Um, And so, uh, so yeah, when I'm wearing my volunteer hat, I do that as well. And, uh, and it does, it forms the basis of almost all of the websites that I build because it's a good little system. So that's it. And then um, (laughs) this feels like a dating. uh, I feel like I'm putting a video thing on a dating site. In my spare time, I like to drink wine, watch movies and go for long romantic walks. Um, So yeah, so that's me anyway, with the wife, I hasten to add. (laughs) 
Oh, fantastic. But the thing is, it's like, that's not what, that's not what, so we have a bit of an odd relationship because I've known you for years, Mm. but I've only actually met you (laughs) a few months ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still not convinced we've ever met in the flesh. I think we've only ever met online. No, I didn't think we had. No, so we haven't. considering what I've been doing for my, uh, my, I say adult life, but I don't actually feel that I've grown up yet. So what I've been doing for the last 21 years, you're actually one of my only virtual friends. Most people I know in the real world, and you think as a web developer, you'd have a lot of virtual friends and hang out in weird, geeky places. But you're my only geek. <laughs> oh, it is funny. It, it is funny the way that um, being locked down has actually made me far more sociable really yeah yeah i can see that actually that does make sense um yeah, you kind of have to don't you to a certain extent yeah yeah well you've got yeah because you you suddenly become far more conscious of the time that you don't spend you uh, how do i want to wear this you become conscious of the time that you are not being social yes yeah i think so and i i, I think like me you like getting your head down and getting on with work, don't you? So when you're in work mode, other human beings are simply an irritation. And that's there is nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, well, as you can see from here, I am in the chalet at the back of the garden. And uh, and I am, yeah, a good 25, 30 metres away from the house. And, uh, and my wife knows... That it, it's a it's a risk coming up to the office. That said, she'll probably turn up in about ten minutes with the baby to tell me they're home. But it is a risk, and she doesn't know whether she's going to get me greeting her or looking like I'm very angry at having been disturbed from some coding. <laughs> so I've managed to develop this technique where, when I am in state, let's say, yeah, and um, people start talking to me, mm-hmm. I can I can make response. I like there's noises and head movements that look like nods mm-hmm. that make people think you're actually listening and you've got no idea what they've said. Yeah. So I'm eating chocolate now just to really help with your podcast. Um, <laughs> so um, I do the same, um, but I often then find that they irritatingly catch you out by asking you pertinent questions about what they've just been saying. And suddenly you were discovered to have no idea what the conversation was in the past 20 minutes. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, do you, so for me, where, especially when I'm thinking um, creatively, yeah, I have to just completely immerse my brain into whatever the client is I, I'm working on. And it's almost like, you know, even Green Umbrella doesn't exist in that moment I am 100% focused on their business and their target market and their messaging and what's right you know just it's it is like I'm just creating this little bubble around myself so I can get into that yeah Um, and not everyone works in that way and I I find that quite strange from a creative perspective and and obviously you know what you're doing is, is very creative yeah absolutely I mean and uh yeah, I, I do very much do the same thing. Um, I am entirely unable to multitask. Um, I genuinely believe nobody is able to multitask. I think the things are completely a fiction. I think if you just concentrate on the one thing that you're doing, you get it done to a much better level of um, of skill. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I yeah, I will shut myself away 
and just concentrate. And for me, there's two types of creativity. There's the, there's the the kind of the, the arty stuff I call it, which is the writing, the designing when it comes to websites or that kind of malarkey. And then there's the the, the problem solving stuff, which is equally as creative, but that's the coding stuff. And and that's actually these days what gets me out of bed in the morning much more than the design stuff because that continues to be a challenge which is much more interesting to me whereas the design stuff with the best one in the world i don't find it challenging i'm not saying i'm a brilliant designer there are much better designers than me but they're much better designers than me because they enjoy the challenge of design whereas for me i'll do it as part of a website but it doesn't really do anything for me and you know, interface design is interface design to me. It's not where my brain really gets excited anymore. Do you know? It is. I, I kind of. Um, it's the stuff. It's the stuff that you find sexy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, that's what it comes down to. And it, there are certain things where you know I love so much of what what I do. Of course, I do. But there are certain things, like Pinterest, for example, mm-hmm. has massive value to so many businesses. Mm just not interested it's just not sexy yeah it doesn't excite me and therefore i'm kind of you know i have this like um it's almost like a mantra of like stay in your lane yeah yeah yeah, absolutely you know and it's like actually the things that excite me i'm really good at i'm always going to be on top of and i am just you know i'm always going to be able to know the right things to do there without having to put masses and masses of thoughts behind it so yeah. actually, if I just focus on doing those things and ignore everything else. Yeah, totally agree with you. Yeah, and uh, it's one of my pet bugbears when I I meet a, a young web developing company um, when they come bowling through the door of networking or their email comes bowling into my inbox. And, uh, and within the first couple of minutes, they've told me they do websites, they do social media, they do SEO, they do this, they do that, etc. And I've met so many of them over the years that are no longer in the game, because rather than thinking, this is the thing that I find sexy, and this is the thing that I want to become a master of, they try and do everything and end up being a jack of all trades. There's nothing wrong with being a jack of all trades. But with the way that social media, SEO, web development move, it's not like you can learn a bunch of skills and then just sit them in the back of your head and pull them back in when you need to. You, you can only be on top of one properly. Mm. And they're different disciplines. So, the, you know, SEO companies that do social, social companies that offer SEO, mm-hmm. you, you, you've got completely, you're looking at things, you're looking at the landscape from completely two viewpoints yeah exactly and it's a you know it's always in the back of my mind you know what what do I want the future to look like do I want to become a full service agency Mm. what impact does that have on on an exit strategy and it is just at the end of the day I just don't I I don't care about SEO no because you can SEO the hell out your website it's not going to make people trust you yeah absolutely and to a certain extent, there's such a confusion with SEO as well. SEO, to my mind, the stuff that's done on site is just the byproduct of knowing how to code a website and making it Google friendly. Anyone that gets charged extra for SEO on their site is having the piss taken out of them because it should be done as part of the basic package. 
to me, I always call it SEM, which nobody else does, so it just confuses the hell out of it. But it's search engine marketing. It's doing the off-site stuff, sending stuff to a website that's already entirely optimized for being found. So, uh, so yeah, I'm... I, uh, as you know from our various online meetings, I have a fairly short fuse when it comes to people that I think are idiots. And uh, and when it comes to, there's that kind of Wild West, and there are lots of really good people that are out there, and you must see it as well. When a new, I'm going to say web as a loose term, when a new web discipline turns up, the first thing that happens is the sharks move in and start say, selling snake oil. And then after a while, they get found out, they bugger off, and the people that can actually do what they do have then appeared. And it happened with um, SEO when it first started. It happened with social media. It happened with app creation when suddenly everybody was being trying to convince to buy a, a brochure app that did absolutely bugger all for their business. And every single time the sharks move in, they bugger off, and then you get the real people doing the job. Mm. I, I do feel um, – I'm constantly using the phrase of I probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> say it. <laughs> we're back in that place when it comes to social media and app creation as well. Okay. Because it is it's almost it's almost sold as an easy way to make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm saying that is more on the social side of things, definitely. But it, mm. it's kind of a you know, you've been made redundant. You don't know what to do. Set yourself up and, you know, start yeah. posting things on Facebook for a business and you can make money that way. And there's no strategy behind it. It's just, yeah. I know how to post on Facebook and that's yeah. not enough. And people don't realize everything else that comes into it. So yeah, there's, um, I'm feeling a massive frustration right now with, I'm seeing a lot of virtual assistants that offer social yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've come across those. And and it's it's not that they're necessarily doing anything wrong. It's the fact that what they're doing isn't in line with the strategy that I would want my, yeah. my clients to take and, and, and that I would I would recommend to people. So I've constantly at this kind of it's Yeah, really, that really makes total sense. But that to a certain extent, that's the the difference between the company that will come to you who who buys into that strategy and understands that what works and the company who i mean for example i've got a uh, uh, um a, a virtual assistant that i do a website for and she does a little bit of it which works absolutely fine all of the companies that that go to her tend to be uh tradespeople that want somebody to look after the office stuff, look after the website stuff, look after the social media stuff. They don't want a strategy necessarily. They just want to know that they're doing what they've been told to do, perhaps incorrectly when they've been out to networking and run into business coaches, et cetera, what they've been told to do. So for that kind of level, I think it, it makes total sense that it fits into a VA's arsenal of products but it wouldn't work at all when it comes to the company that actually wants a proper strategy and to have their social media work for them in any other way than a vague presence seen now and again. Yeah. So with that, there comes a, and I think this is a, an issue, if you like, that most business owners have, certainly in the early days. Mm. But I think it, it, I can imagine in 10, 20 years' time, I, I'd still have this come up again and again. 
And it is knowing your value. Yeah. And being able to state your price and say, well, no, this is what it is, because it's yeah. not it's not that thing that you're selling, that job you're delivering there and then. It's the how many years did you say you've you've been doing the website? Um, Twenty-two in February. Okay. So if I were to if I were to hire you for a website tomorrow, mm-hmm. it's I'm buying 22 years worth of experience. Exactly. So when it comes to like with that pricing thing and like the, the mentality around it, what are your thoughts on that and knowing your value and pitching yourself in that way? Yeah, I think it works um, on two levels. I mean, you're absolutely right. And uh, if if somebody comes to me, not only do I know my value, I know my prices as well to a certain extent. So if uh, it's very rare that I can't verbally quote there and then once I've heard the business idea or the website idea um and of course they don't know what they don't know at that point so it normally changes once i've asked them the questions that sort of says you know what what haven't you uh, thought of but yeah absolutely but it's also i think when you've got the experience you charge more but it takes you less time so for example my hourly rate my hourly rate's through the roof but that said it probably only takes me half an hour what might take somebody considerably longer when they're a lot less experienced so you know and and also i think the thing that that interests me now is website businesses i mean i still get a lot of brochure sites um mostly through resellers because I'm digressing slightly, but as I would rather shoot myself than go out and actually sell myself, the way that I've worked pretty much since 2002, 2003 is providing websites to other companies that have customers that need websites, because then they go out and do the hard work and they get an appropriate discount for the hard work they do. And that means I can sit here in my little cave and get on with the stuff that interests me. Um, And I was saying something else is now completely gone. What was the question? (laughs) It's about pricing yourself and knowing your worth. Yeah, knowing your worth, absolutely. So yeah, the thing that gets me out of bed these days is uh, is website applications more than anything else. And by that, I mean websites that do stuff rather than just being websites that show off a company or even websites that sell stuff on there. I'm I'm interested in in stuff that I have to build from scratch. So. Um, an example would be the e-learning system that you know that I've, I've built for a client and are now turning commercial. Um, for example, the one that I finished today is a competition website where one can win high-end cars, high-end motorbikes, that kind of thing. So I had to write the entire uh, ticketing system for that. And then so that kind of thing, because it still has challenges. I like a job where I don't know how to do it entirely and I have to spend a certain amount of time researching what I'm doing because research is the most interesting thing in the world. For you, maybe. Yes, yes, indeed. Expanding one's brain. <laughs> so, okay, so the online training thing's really, really interesting for me. So, yeah. You know, we, we have seen this year such a huge surge in online you know online training platforms i imagine if we looked at the you know things like kajabi and teachable and looked at their share prices have probably increased just as zoom has and i think that there are a lot of options out there Mm -hmm. but none of them are a perfect fit and i think that's probably one of the reasons that you were commissioned to to build something from scratch that could tick yeah. all the boxes for for that particular client and and it's fantastic that you're now 
taking that out further and obviously i've had a sneak peek i, no. I know what it looks like and what it does i'm very excited about it <laughs> um but yeah what are the like just tell me about what are the like the what are the challenges that you've had in terms of what you think people really need training platforms to do what isn't out there in the market that is yeah, like a bit sure. of a no-brainer that sort of stuff well where the the system sits in the market is um Although it's an online training platform, the platform effectively, it's not one central platform like many of them where a person would go on, create their course and add it to that platform. Each individual copy of the platform is its own website. So firstly, rather than being that huge uh, company where there are many, many courses, each website is so it, it is just courses from that company on that website. The advantage of that, uh, to my mind, was twofold. Firstly, the customization aspects. So it means that there's there's uh, if things need to be changed on individual sites and customized for particular business models, then that can be done. Secondly, the branding as well. So rather than having to have a te- a course on Teachable that looks like Teachable that then one links to from one's own website. This can be entirely branded um, as one's own website. Um, and then I guess from talking to people and testing it out, I've discovered the main market, to my mind, um, is going to be rather than Joe Blogs putting in a course for the public, it's actually for trainers who are training much larger companies and who want to create a training hub for that much larger company branded in that company's company colors, et cetera, um, so that they feel they've got their own effectively training intranet. Um, And the advantage for those trainers is they can then go, okay, well, look, I've got all these courses. I'll put them on. I'll brand it for this company here. They're going to pay me X amount a month to have that. But now I've got all the courses. I'm just going to change the intro and outro on each of the video courses, rebrand another copy of the website, sell that to another company, effectively having done most of the work already so it becomes a source of passive income for uh the training companies and that's really another thing that interests me in the way that i've always looked at my own business i think the best most fun thing to sell for me is a way that other people can make money if i can build a website that finds somebody motivated who goes brilliant now i've got that i can take that away i can see where the financial gain to me is that to me is much sexier than a brochure website a shopping website etc etc um and it's the way that i've always what i always build website businesses for another version of me who hasn't got a business and so if i think i know how i can make this work as a business there's other people out there who will also know how to make it work as a business and they're my market. Um, yeah, I think that's really where I come from with it. Excellent. So there are a lot of, I think there are a lot of people that are jumping onto things that, that they're looking for quick wins Yeah. from a business, from a money-making perspective. 
um, you know, and, and things like the online training that it's kind of like, you know, I know how to hammer a nail in a wall. I'm going to record a few videos and mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden I've got a training course for it. And, and I think there's a, if we're not careful, there's a lot of issues in terms of the, the quality of training that's going to be available through these kind of like online course platforms. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is going to affect the price. And, and I know from our conversations, you've done quite a bit of research, talk to people that have run that've got these types of products so yeah. what what have been your learnings on on that side of things well the the learnings and the experience as well tells me that yes there there's going to be a financial race to the bottom with online training that's going to happen no matter what in the same way that in the past 21 years there's been a financial race to the bottom with website development as well Whenever something becomes accessible to everybody, you're going to get different people pitching their products at different types of the market. I could go out right now and get a website for six quid a month, or I could go out and get a website for £20,000. And there's going to be a market for the six quid a month and the £20,000 ones as well. And the fact of the matter is, I'm not interested uh, with this product in finding the quick win guy who or girl who can hammer the nail in who wants to do a quick online training video that goes onto a giant platform and effectively will disappear into the ether anyway and they won't make any money on it i don't think i'm i'm obviously open-minded on it but at the same time i don't think there's going to be anybody that wants to use my platform that wasn't considering or already doing online training before 2020 happened this is a platform designed for experienced people that have already played in the market and know exactly what it is they want to do in order to make proper money absolutely absolutely you know it's your platform has it has the complexity to it that is required to deliver quality training Mm -hmm. Train, you know, a training course isn't just a series of videos. No, exactly. And, and I think, I think that for me, that was a that was like one of the things that struck me straight away when I, when I looked at, at what you what you're working on. Cool. Okay, so we're going to switch topics a little bit now. Oh, exciting! So, just thinking about general mindset, running a business, keeping it going um, through the good times and the bad times, and you know. I'm kind of, as you know, I'm still very new to this game and you've been doing it for much longer than I have. And we've had conversations about being able to take a break away and actually look at your business and decide what you want to do and and that kind of thing. And it'd be really good for you to share sort of your approach to how you, you know, working on the business rather than yeah, in sure. the business and, and that kind of stuff. Well, um, up until uh, probably a couple of years ago, um, it weirdly coincided with getting married and having a child and thus much less time in my life. Um, I would, uh, in the winter months, I would work three weeks a month and then have a week away every month, um, kind of from October through to about March, I guess. Now, that was partly, uh, the week away was partly to go and write because uh, I write those books and ting. Um, but also it was the time to go and think about what I was doing with the business and working on the business. So I think one of the most important things to me is time away 
from the day-to-day stuff. Without that, one never gets a chance to work on the business. Um, I have, (laughs) ever since I can remember, um, I relied entirely on my instinct and a lot less on figures and planning and all the things that business coaches have been telling me to do since the year dot. Um, and I think that's just me. Um, when when I was at art college many years ago, I always got told off because I never put down my, my workings through. I just came up with the end product. And that's kind of been the way that my brain's operated ever since. So a lot of stuff happens in my head, but doesn't get written down until I've kind of finished the thought process. And then it's there and I can crack on with it. So that's very much what I tend to do with the business. Um, For example, probably about five years ago now, I changed one of the business models to create a pay-as-you-go version of the websites I do. Um, The concept being that at the time in the market, you either had a cheap, shitty pay-as-you-go website or you spent a lot of money on something else that you paid in one block sum. And I was finding, I was coming across a lot of businesses that were kind of two or three years old who had been through the pay-as-you-go, had probably been through the 600-quid WordPress website. Their business had matured, and they were ready for a much more bespoke website that really sold what they did. But they didn't necessarily have the cash flow to go to that next level yet. So finding a model that would enable them to have the website they want but still pay for it on a monthly basis seemed like a no-brainer um and and i don't think i discussed it with anybody i don't think i wrote anything down i just had about two months of mulling it over in my head and then took a week out wrote down the spec for it added some pages to the website got some postcards made because i was going to real networking at that point and handing out postcards etc and bosh and it's flown um but as to any kind of is this a good idea should i use anybody as a sounding board no not at all just went for it (laughs) (laughs) do you work in that same way now yeah i think so um i will continue to entirely trust my instinct until it fails me see i can't i can't think of i am i'm not a self-doubter but i think i i'm just so convinced that i've never got all i haven't got all the answers and i never will have all the answers the only way for me to fill gaps is to prey on people that are willing to spend the time (laughs) listen to i like it (laughs) yeah um Paul Green, I can't remember who we we were talking about, but there was there was somebody else, and uh, and I quoted them for a website, and then I pulled out. In fact, whoever it was, I'm not going to say their name, even though I do remember. Um, uh, and Paul uh, very uh, succinctly said, "Well, no, because you two would be terrible together because they like to weigh up every single decision, and by the time they weighed up all their decisions, you would have already finished the website and be moving on to the next thing." And um, 
And Louise, my wife, is very similar. Um, on the days that she is cooking, we obviously share that. Um, on the days that she is cooking, she will uh, offer me about five choices of what, what to cook. And I'll, I'll always go for the first one, because as far as I'm concerned, the first thing, that's fine. It'll be delicious. That's decision made. But even though I say yes, she still sort of says, no, but what about this and what about this? They're called doing an awe in our house. And uh, Louise loves oars, and I hate oars. If I've made a decision, I want to move on straight away. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I I am. Um, so it takes me. Sometimes it does take me a while to to make a firm decision. But once that decision is made, there's yeah. like there's no going back. Yeah, I, um, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's quite quite interesting in that in that sense. Fantastic. So. You've mentioned art college. Yeah. You've mentioned writing. Mm -hmm. But tell us a little bit about that side, because I think that's I find that quite interesting that we talk about techie stuff quite a bit and we we hang out and we have a giggle and we get into some um quite interesting topical conversations. Yeah. And every now and then the um the book gets mentioned and things like that. So tell me a little bit of yeah, a little bit of your story. So, um, yeah, so I went, went to art college um, <laughs> in the 80s. Good God, I'm old. Um, went to art college in the 80s pre-computers. We had one typography uh, computer downstairs in the typography department, which was basically a room, and everything else was done by hand. It was the most – it was a graphic design course when I was at art college, and literally the most mind-numbing thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um and I failed. I failed and then had to retake uh, the two or three units that I'd failed, mainly through being an 18-year-old uh, and enjoying the world. We'll leave it at that on a, on a podcast, shall we? Um, enjoying the world and thus not doing anything vaguely resembling actual work. So I retook. Um, and, and that was actually quite good fun, actually. I, I, I retook. Having applied to university and knowing what I had to get, um, I then applied myself and retook the couple of modules that I needed to in order to pass this course. And I and I remember the day that I took them in to the tutor um, and, and she said, yeah, okay, you've passed. And, and walking back, Reading, I was at Art College, walking back along Reading Canal, one of the least attractive places in the whole of England, um, and, uh, and realising that I was going to university because I'd got what I needed to in order to do it. And uh, and from that moment on, I became slightly work obsessive to the extent that when I was at uni and I did a creative arts and filmmaking course there, um, I was always the one in my room working when everybody else was downstairs um, enjoying jazz cigarettes. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, I, I was always the last one to come down. And so that's kind of where my work ethic started. Um, and then... Part of that creative arts and filmmaking course, there was a writing module, so I wrote then. Um, and then it's something I'd always kind of dabbled with. And then uh, 2000 and, God, 2001, 2002, something like that, I wrote my first novel, um, which was shite, um, but uh, got published anyway by, uh, by an idiot who, uh, who was no longer in business. So I, I don't think it was necessarily my book that ruined his publishing company. Um, but I think it was more to do with the fact that it was a small publishing house that never really was going to get anywhere once uh, electronic publishing and Kindle came in, uh, which changed that particular market so massively. 
from the kind of I don't even know when that started. Probably 2008, 2009. Kindles were starting, weren't they? Um, so that was the first one. I then, having written a really bad novel, it occurred to me that now I knew that I had the the patience to write a novel. So I then wrote something that I am pleased with, or yeah, I am pleased with it. Um, and uh, and that, that was again published uh this time by a company that's still going remarkably so i haven't ruined them um and uh, that's published by a little company called fantastic books publishing who are based up in hull um and that is a sword and sorcery romp through um the first world war weirdly it's a combination of arthurian myths and world war one because they sit very naturally together um and uh and that was published to uh, a certain amount of acclaim i won an award um from the publishing house so it's kind of like when you pay for a business award um i won an award for the publishing house where they told me i was the the best new novel that year there were only three that they published so i wasn't that pleased with it however i took it I've still got it somewhere. It's not in here, is it? No. Um, but yeah, so uh, so that was good. And it, it's it's obviously I'm still working, so it hasn't made me millions, but it's uh, it's brought me in a nice bit of pocket money ever since. And I am theoretically working on the sequel at the moment, although in practice with uh, a, a baby that's only just turned one um, and all the other things I'm doing with the job, the weeks away for writing have been curtailed for a little while longer so i'm going to get back to it probably in a couple of years time and then write the next ways well, of trilogy altogether and uh, i have actually got fans avidly waiting for it and um, who aren't my mother <laughs> i just i love the way you talk about your um your yeah your your authorship let's say it it's it just it cracks me up every time do you think that there's that phrase isn't it, that ev everyone's got a book in them? Do you think that's true? Yeah, I do. I do think everyone's got a book in them. Everyone has got a crap book in them. What they haven't necessarily got is a good book. Um, I, for, for a brief period of time, I did a little YouTube channel uh, to almost no notice whatsoever, which was when I, uh, I just simply read chapters of small uh, independent publishing houses uh, novels, um, which gave me a chance to enjoy the sound of my own voice, which, as you know, I love, um, and uh, also helped to get some, some authors out there to a little bit, and they could then use the, the videos for their own promotion, et cetera, et cetera. And during doing that, I must have read the opening chapter to hundreds of independent and self-published books and probably only found four or five that were actually well-written. Um, and again, it's it's both a brilliant and terrible thing that it's very easy for everybody to do anything they want these days using computers. If you want to write a novel and you've got the patience to sit there and do it, then one can. If you want to make a film, then one can, etc. The tools have become very easy to use, but the tools don't necessarily give one the inspiration or the ability to, to do it properly. So, uh, so I, I'm, I'm always uh, very entertained, quietly entertained, uh, when I go networking and somebody stands up and says, I've written a book, and it turns out to be a seven-page PDF. Um, 
And I just kind of think, no, no, you haven't. That's not a book. That's an extended essay, and it's probably not very good. Um, but I've got a huge amount of respect for people that do sit down and write anything, be it a business book, be it a novel. Um, if you know, if if it's done, and if it's not just a seven-page PDF, you know, I, th I think one of the things that a lot of not a lot, but I, I've noticed in the business world is that people will knock out a PDF in order to say, I've written a business book, because they can then notch that on their CV. I've seen it from coaches. I've seen it from other people, you know, but, and it's that kind of thing. Oh, well, if they've written a book, they must know a little bit more about what they're talking about. Um, to my mind, I kind of think, you know what? If you've written a book and it's been published by somebody else, then that's a good starting point to know whether it's any good. If you've written a book and it's been self-published and it's been reviewed by people other than your family and it's rated, that's also a good starting point. But And I, I'm probably a book snob because of the fact that I've slayed for a long time writing two novels. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Mm. I like that you used the word patience earlier when you were describing the, you know, writing it and, you know, you'd written yeah. the first one, you now knew you had the patience to do it. Yeah. There, there is a business book out there that mm. I have read in about 45 minutes. <laughs> I just, and I, my ego and it is my ego has kind of gone like, Oh my God, that, you know, I hate writing. Yeah. The thought of writing a book, I cannot think of anything worse. But having read that book, I'm like, I know exactly what book I need to write. Yeah. I just need to force myself into that uncomfortable situation and actually do it because I that particular book I know I can knock out of the knock out of the park. And it's a but it's one thing deciding you're going to do it. I think I've sat down about 20 times in during lockdown because this was a fantastic opportunity. And I think I've got as far as writing a list of chapters. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it, uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Oh, it's just, it's so, it's, it's excruciating. And the thing as well is, um, um, I remember I met uh, a professional writer at the launch of my book um, where it could, it basically my publisher runs a weird convention up in Hull every year where computer game players and cosplayers and role players and all these various different sword and sorcery and science fiction geeks all come together. And that's where he launches his latest um, set of books and also has basically a three-day convention where he can make money on that as well. So he has a lot of writers there. And I was uh, I was in the bar. <laughs> Most of the time I was in the bar, to be fair. But I was in the bar with, uh, with a few of the writers that I'd been on a panel with um, on that day. And, um, and one of them was saying I really struggled to uh, write. And, and one of the other guys was saying, you know what, the, the, the people that write the most are the people that are professional writers. And you said, I don't mean people who are professional in a, in a using it as a term of respect. I mean, the ones that is their profession. And if they don't write that novel, it's not going to get published and they're not going to put food on the table for their kids. If you are financially obliged to write, you do it. You and I aren't financially obliged to write. 
we've already got nice ways of making money. So by that rationale, it's a lot harder. If you turn around tomorrow and suddenly the only way that you could make money next year was by writing and publishing his book, you'd do it. It's that simple. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I for mean, us, it's only ever going to be, I mean, to me, I've, I've been paid for it, but it's a paid hobby. It's not, it's not a part of my, what I do as a profession at all. It's just a paid hobby. Do, do you think that, so from a business perspective, because it, you know, it would be a business book, it would be yeah, yeah. To, to social media. Do you think that having that authorship elevates people from a business perspective? Yeah, I do. Um, I think um, there, there are business people I know who have written what I'm going to call real books, for want of a better term, um, that are out there. And they, um, I, I don't need to, you, you must know Stefan Thomas, or you must know of Stefan Thomas. Yes. He's, uh, he runs, uh, what's his company called? The Networking Retreat these days. Um, now, uh, I've, Steph was in 4N for years. I've known him for, for a lot of years and years and years. And he put hours and hours and hours and days and days and days of networking in before he was asked to write the Networking for Dummies, which was his first book. Um, and he was absolutely the right person because he'd done the time, he'd made the mistakes. And for him, that book has helped to give him a level of respect that he wouldn't have had without that book. Even though, But it, it came from, he was writing the book of his knowledge. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to write a book to get the respect. The respect from the publisher was already there because they said to him, you're the guy to write the book because we can see you know what you're talking about. So. So I think uh, from a business perspective, if an expert with genuine expertise is writing a book about what their expertise is in, then yes, it can give them a level of um, respect they didn't have before. But uh, it, interestingly, uh, only yesterday, I, I hang around on the writers forums um, in one of my other monitors, and somebody said um, in a writers forum only yesterday, what do I do when um, I'm struggling to write and no one's reading my work and it's not motivating me? And uh, another one of the people in the Writers' Forum, very pertinently, this is absolutely the case, but you shouldn't be writing in order for people to read it. You write for yourself. You're telling yourself the story or you're explaining the ideas or you're putting the ideas down for yourself first. The first draft is always for yourself. And if you don't love writing that first draft and enjoying that process, no amount of audience is going to make it easier to do. Writers write for themselves first and the audience second. So I do, I write a blog. Mm -hmm. Obviously, yeah. you know, we're talking five, eight hundred words, thousand words, maybe yeah. if I'm struggling to shut myself up. <laughs> Um, and like I say, I find it excruciating. I, yeah. I really do. And as a marketer, we should, you know, I should be thinking about my audience and writing for them and what their problems and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If I was 100% honest, most of the time when it comes to writing that article, I'm writing the thing that I need to get out my system because I've had a conversation that week and someone's pissed me off. Yeah, there you go. And I, you know, and I just like, I need to, it's mm -hmm. almost like I need to prove I remember there was, I was talking about Ada, okay. um, the, the advertising and marketing framework. 
And I was talking about it in a in a live stream somewhere. And, and I talked about the fact that this, you know, it's like an 18th century theory, basically. Right. And the guys in the office were then taking the piss out of me, <laughs> and laughing, you know, <laughs> Christina. And I'm like, no, 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 it is. I checked it and I, I, I Googled it and I double checked it because I was like, I was so convinced I was right. And I was. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, 1892 or 1898 or something. Yeah. And I was so annoyed that I did something I was, I, from a knowledge perspective, I'm really crap with dates. Sure. Okay. So when I do remember something, it's never <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so the fact that I allowed people, you know, had that doubt in myself and everything else, and it kind of, it was a bit of a bugbear that week. Yeah, I bet. But that then, funnily enough, found its way into my blog on the Friday. And, and I bet that was incredibly easy to write. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, it's, it's, it's like anything you do, it's about the passion, isn't it? And that's, you know, that that that's the core of anything. You know, if you don't have the passion for what you're doing, then one can still do it, but... It's going to be a lot harder to do, and the end result may show that it's a lot harder. Mm, yeah. So one of the ebooks we've got is um, yeah, how to define your ideal client. Mm. That was born out of, and you must have the same thing, you know, with the websites. You know, who's who's buying for you? Who's your ideal client? Who's your avatar? Oh, anyone really? <laughs> yeah. It's not though, is it? It's not anyone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you now, but my my ideal client now is very, very narrow. It's basically people that I don't feel like throttling after 10 minutes of talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we've never done business together, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. Right, I'm going to wrap things up there because I think that's a, that's a really good thing to wrap up on. John, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you said yes to doing this. And um, I said, yeah, obviously, like talking about the web and the online stuff is is great. But I said that the writing thing, I'm just in awe of the fact that you've, and the fact that it's a fiction book is just like, just blows my mind away. So um, I'm really glad we got to talk about that. Good. So much. No, thank you. I've enjoyed myself. 